sinful deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Let's open our sermon in a word of prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would minister to us from your word. Lord, we need to be reminded today to remain steadfast, to remain anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ and our our faith in him. Not because our faith is is so strong that we hold on to him, but but he is the rock who who holds on to us and delights in having us being anchored into him, unmoving uh, and unyielding. Maybe some of us, Lord, today are, are facing doubts and discouragement. I pray that you would encourage us to remain steadfast in the faith. Uh, just give us that, that vision of, of the ultimate reward of standing uh, before the throne of God and, and hearing your voice say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, work in our hearts and in our midst today. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes uh, standing still, standing firm without moving, uh, can be very hard. Sometimes it's, it's the harder task. It's easier sometimes to run and chase something and be active, and it's harder to stand firm, especially, especially when you're a little boy, right? Have, have you ever seen a, a little boy, uh, eight years old, who, who stands still for, for more than just a minute or two? And, and you tell them, you know, sit, sit, sit down, just calm yourself, just, just wait. And how long uh, does that last? Even with girls, we don't obviously have any boys in my family, even with girls sometimes, standing unmoving uh, can be very difficult. If you've ever had a puppy as well, you know what this is like. You, you teach them to, to sit and not to move, and you, you hold out these little treats, and, and yet sometimes they, 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 they are anxious. They are ready to, to jump up and, and grab these things. Sometimes the Christian life is very much like that. We get anxious. Sometimes we're anxious for God to work. Sometimes we're anxious for, for, for Him to do more, and so we, we rush out ahead of Him. Sometimes we're anxious and we want to find what else is out there. And we're tempted to wander from the faith, to find something new, to find something that will excite us even more, just like the faith did when we first came to faith in Christ. And we need to hear this morning that that God's will for us is to stand firm in the faith. The Colossians were being tempted to varying degrees by some kind of of new teaching, perhaps uh, encountering philosophies. Chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophies of an empty deceit according to human tradition. There was some kind of new spirituality. We find out later in chapter 2 that it might have had to do with the worship of angels. It had to do with uh, denying the body, fasting, and those sorts of things. Now, some forms of fasting are good, but, but uh, they were going into denying the body and thinking that that would control sin. Whatever it was, it was leading them away from the good, solid 
truth of Jesus Christ. And sometimes you and I have encountered Christians, or maybe we've been in that situation ourselves, where we are, we are so tempted to say, I know Jesus, now I want to move on to something deeper and better. We need to stand firm in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not something that we, we start out with and we move on from as we mature in the Christian life. Jesus Christ is the one who we are anchoring our life and our faith in. So we want to talk about the hows and whys of standing firm in your faith. First this morning, stand firm in your faith because you know who you were. One of the great motivations to stand firm in your faith is that you know where you came from. You know what you were like uh, before you were a Christian. And oftentimes when we get going in our Christian lives, the temptation is to, to become prideful about who we are. And we forget who we were. And when we forget who we were, we forget how much we need the grace of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ. So, we find out in our passage that we were sinners separated from God. Now, Paul here is talking to believers who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's addressing a specific group of people. People who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are still in this condition. But each one of us, from the time we are born, start out as sinners separated from God. Look at verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Before you and I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we were separated from God. That's what it means to to be alienated. To be separate. To be in a, a position where we are enemies of God. Now, God obviously had such a great love for us that he sent his son uh, to die for us. But he did not send his son to die for us because we were basically good people. He did not send his son to die for us because we were crying out to him and saying, won't you do something? He sent his son to die for us while we were yet sinners while we were alienated from Him, while we were enemies. And we should not think of ourselves as just sitting as enemies. We should think of ourselves as ones who were in active rebellion, shaking our fists, if you will, spitting in the face of our Lord. That really is what sin is. It's transgressing the law of God, but it's, it's, it's rebelling against the perfect one, the holy one, the one who in his goodness made you to to bear his image and be a reflection of his character. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to, to God by the death of his Son. Notice in Colossians that, that sin is something that, that permeates not just what we do, but it permeates our minds. It, is, it, it is, encompasses uh, our whole being. Sometimes we use the word in theology, uh, total depravity. It, it simply means that, that every aspect of, of who I am is, is tainted and corrupted uh, by the sin that, that dwells within me. 
So sin starts in my heart. It, it fills my mind. And in turn, it, it manifests itself in the deeds that I do. One of the problems of not seeing the sinfulness of sin is that we think that sin is only something that we do. And oftentimes we, we water down the language and, and sin becomes mistakes that I made. You know what a mistake is? A mistake is when you mean well, but you do the wrong thing. A mistake is when it's sort of an accident. Um, I didn't carry the one on my checkbook, and now uh, I, I've overdrawn the checkbook because I didn't do my addition and subtraction correctly. That's a, a mistake. You, you didn't intend to uh, draw more from your checking. You weren't trying to defraud the bank of money. We don't make mistakes before God in our sin. We are actively in our minds and then in our deeds going out and, and doing things that are, are wicked uh, and are, are evil. Notice that as sin permeates the whole person, it is a response also that flows from our minds. Sometimes we think of sin as something that doesn't flow from our hearts and is only outward. The person meant well. If the person had known better, they wouldn't have done those things. But the Bible teaches us that sin flows from my thoughts. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, speaks of, of sinners, for although they knew God, meaning we see evidence of God everywhere around us, it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts we're darkened. This is what sin does to us. We don't think right anymore about God. Our hearts become darkened towards God so that even though there is plenty of evidence all around us that God exists and God loves us and He made us to bear His image, we say, Psh, that's ridiculous. Why is it that there are so many scientists today that spend countless hours studying uh, the creation, and yet come to a conclusion that there is no God. It's not because the evidence isn't there. It's because our foolish hearts are darkened in our sin. Ephesians chapter 2, again, speaking who we once were, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Sin comes from the heart, the mind, and it manifests itself in evil deeds. So we want to say this morning, simply remember where you came from. Did anybody ever say that to you, uh, perhaps as a child or perhaps as you were, were moving into the adult years? It's the kind of thing maybe that, that parents say as you go off to college or maybe as you get that first big job in the city. Uh, or maybe even when, when you come home with that first big paycheck and you have a little bit of swagger and they say to you, now remember where you came from. Oftentimes we meet it in the sense of don't get too prideful. Don't get, don't get cocky. 
You're the same person in this family that, that you were before you left. I heard a story one time of a man uh, who went off to, uh, he was a farmer's son out in Southern California. He went off to school. Uh, he got his Ph.D., uh, in, in some kind of historical field. I think it was like uh, ancient Greek studies or something like that. Uh, he came home with a ton of knowledge. He's now a, a published professor and all these things. Uh, he came home, uh, and his dad. The first, one of the first things his dad said to him was, uh, when he got home, was, those shingles out on the barn need to be replaced. So here's the guy. He just earned his Ph.D. He comes out and he gets the hammer, the nails, takes the load of the shingles out and climbs up on the roof. It was a moment of remember where you came from. You might have the Ph.D. now, but you're still my son. In a sense, we as Christians need to remember where we came from. We need to remember the depths of sin that Christ has brought us out of. And that keeps us clinging to him. So often in the Christian life, we get going and we get moving along and, and we feel like we've conquered certain sins and, and that can lead to a, a, a subtle pride that begins to grow. And, and over time, we forget where we came from and we start to think that we are better than our others. We start to maybe even say when someone converts, you know, thank God I'm not like that sinner. I never came from from drugs or the really bad life. Thank goodness that never happened to me. And we forget that in each and every one of us, we're sinners alienated and separated from God. Remembering where we came from keeps us steadfast in Christ. The Christian walk often involves growing in my understanding of sin so that I might grow in my understanding of Christ. Think about that. The Christian walk often involves growing in my understanding of what my sin is so that I might grow in my understanding and the riches and mercy of Christ. Now, hopefully as a Christian, growing in maturity means that we are putting off sins. But sometimes also growing or hopefully also growing means a deeper sensitivity to sin. So in one sense, you might sin less if we were counting up sins. On the other hand, you might have a conscience that that is more easily pricked by sin, Lord willing. We bring these verses to us today because, one, they're in Scripture. But also remember that sin alienates you from God. You don't want to flee from Christ if you understand the sin that He's brought you from. I had a situation in pastoral ministry at one time. I was preaching through the book of Hosea. It's one of the minor prophets. It's one of those books in the middle of the Old Testament we don't read as much as we should. But Hosea is a wonderful story, a a true story of a parable or of an actual thing that Hosea had to act out where he is told by God, go and marry a prostitute. It's a picture of the sin of this woman, which is a picture of Israel's sin, that God takes Israel as his wife, even though she's been idolatrous, even though she's been cheating on him, as it were. It's a picture of our sin, that God in Jesus Christ marries us and forgives us and cleanses us and makes us a blushing, beautiful bride, even though we are wicked. 
And I was preaching through Hosea and we were talking about sin and, and emphasizing that, you know, Hosea is told, go and marry a prostitute, a woman of the world. And that is what our sin is like. And what Hosea does is what God does for us. And sadly, I had a a woman come to me as part of this sermon series. And she said, Pastor, you're talking too much about sin. And I was talking equally about the grace of God and the majesty of God. And look how great God is that, that He sees us in our prostitution to sin. And He comes and marries us. And cleanses us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we were, we were getting to the Gospel. But sadly, this person could not handle being reminded of their sins. And there was a, a part of it where it was an overly sensitive conscience. But there was a part of it where for whatever reason, the person didn't want to remember who they once were. I tell you, when you remember who you once were, when your heart is pricked again and again towards that sensitivity to sin, it causes you to rely on Jesus all the more. God's goal in reminding us of our sin as a believer uh, is not to, to beat us up. He's not the mean parent who who likes to, so to speak, kick us while we're down. It's to remind us of the goodness of Christ. It's to remind us of just how much Jesus did so that we might stand firm. Let me ask you this this morning. Have you become complacent about sin? Perhaps you've stopped fighting against some sin in your life. Perhaps you've, you've taken for granted who you used to be before you were a Christian. I really wasn't that bad, maybe you say to yourself. I tell you, Satan is very subtle in the way he lures people away from the faith. Very rarely does it happen that someone turns away from Christ in one grand gesture. That one day they're in church, worshiping strongly, reading their Bibles, anchored in the Lord, and the next day, all of a sudden, they just turn 180 degrees and walk away from the faith. Satan and our own hearts are often very, very subtle. And it often begins with a path of lessening what sin really is. A a deceiving of ourselves where we think, I'm really not as bad as I thought I was. A pride, maybe, that says, I, I'm doing really well in my Christian walk. I can, I can skip church this week or this month. I can, I can set aside reading my Bible because I'm feeling really strong in my relationship with God. Satan's tactics are to convince us we're not really that bad or we're better than we thought we were. We need, if we're going to stand firm in Christ... Remember who you were. I don't mean to beat yourself up in an inappropriate way. But what I do mean is let the Holy Spirit work in your conscience that He reminds you of the sinfulness of sin. That He exposes sin to you. Maybe even sins that when you first started in your Christian life, they really didn't bother you. 
And now as you've grown, as you've matured, suddenly you, you start to feel more of a burden than you did about that sin. That's a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit. As He fills you, He wants to drive out that sin inside of you. Stand firm on Christ. Remember who you were. Second this morning, stand firm in your faith because you know what Christ has done. Christ has reconciled you to God. Look at verse 22. He has now reconciled you in the body of His flesh by His death. Reconciliation is when you take two people that are enemies and you make peace between them. And in this case, God is not the one who has moved, but God through Jesus has reconciled us. God is who He has always been, holy and perfect and pure and just and and wonderful. And He, through Jesus' death, brings us back into peace with Him. We were alienated and enemies. We become family members and friends. Privileged to dwell in the presence of God. Romans, again, chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. How much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation means that the war is over. 2 Corinthians chapter 5:19 In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. When you are reconciled to God, he does not hold your sins over you. He does not punish you for your sins. He may discipline you as a father disciplines his beloved son, but he does not meet out on you or or pour out on you the wrath that He has against sin. It is forgiven. It is wiped away. Colossians 2.14 tells us that He's done this by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Your sins have been nailed to the cross of Christ if you have put your faith and trust in Him. You are set free, washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ's goal even more then is to present you before God. Look at the second half of verse 22. In order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before Him. The great end that Jesus Christ has for you. The great goal of your salvation is not only or not merely going to heaven when you die. It is not merely getting a resurrection body and enjoying the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus Christ is going to so clean you up, He is going to walk you into the presence of God Himself and present you before Him clean, blameless, spotless, before the throne of God. Think about that. A holy God who cannot tolerate the the presence of evil, the mere spot of evil in His presence. 
And Jesus Christ in His work is so effective that He dies on the cross and His goal is at the end of days to bring you into the presence of God and say, this is the one that I cleanse through my blood and clothe you like a beautiful bride with the most spotless of gowns. I have a picture in my office. It's one of my favorite pictures. If you want to see it, you can go in and see it. It is a black and white picture that my sister took of my wife on our wedding day before she came down the aisle. It actually was taken in the back while she was preparing. And it's this beautiful white dress. And any of you who have ever been married, particularly the men, I'm sure you remember that first glimpse of your wife when she began to walk down the aisle. Ladies, maybe you remember the first glimpse of of your husband. Not a white dress, mind you. At least I I hope he wasn't wearing a white dress. But there's still that that moment of anticipation and and your heart sort sort of skips a beat. That is the moment when we will see God because the Lord Jesus Christ has clothed us in a white dress. Not because we had the ability to wear a white dress. Not because we had the purity to wear a white dress. But because Jesus Christ has done it. Because Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. Ephesians chapter 5, you know these verses well. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her. It means that He might make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle of any such thing, so that He might be holy and without blemish. Revelation chapter 19. I'm just going to read these verses. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you servants who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." The Lord Jesus longs to clothe us in righteousness. And on that day, He will present us as His bride. Brothers and sisters, we we desperately need to live with this vision of heaven in our hearts. We are so easily discouraged in the here and now. But Christ wants to present you to God. We are so easily distracted. I am so easily distracted. So many times life gets tough and we're ready to throw in the towel. Maybe we wonder, why, why do I do this? Why do I seek to faithfully serve the Lord? Why do I, I get myself up every morning to try to, to follow the Lord? Christ 
has your end in view. He wants you to stand fast in Him because you see the end goal. You have a a sense of what is coming. Right now, it's like dating. And hopefully in dating, you, you keep yourself pure for your wedding day, for that spouse. We are, in a sense, already united to Christ. But we keep ourselves pure. We seek to stand firm in Him because we have a sense of what He is doing and accomplishing in us right now and what He will accomplish in the end. We are so easily ready to give up at times. But Jesus Christ is faithful to the end. You know, in that day when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, before God our Father, we will have a sense not of what we have done, but what He has done for us. We sing in the the hymn, His grace has done it all. Tis mine but to believe. My only hope is found in Jesus Christ alone and His righteousness for me. So I want to encourage you to stand fast in the Lord because you know what Jesus has done for you. He has reconciled you. And you know the outcome of that reconciliation. You will stand before God and all the the trials that you face now will, will melt away and be trivial compared to the joy of being there on your wedding day dressed in a robe of righteousness that Jesus Christ has won for you. Finally, this morning, stand firm in your faith because it is absolutely necessary. This is one of the the most... um, Well, this this passage, this verse, the understanding of this, there are some that have a, a bone of contention with it. But Paul is very clear that we must continue in the faith. Look with me at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith. So so follow the train of thought here. You were once alienated, verse 21. He has now reconciled you, verse 22, in order to present you above reproach before him, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The scriptures give us warnings. It it, it is like when you are, are driving on a mountain road. The scripture gives you a warning. The sign on the road gives you a warning. Do not go over the edge because you will wreck your car. And the Scriptures give us these warnings not because it wants to see us go over the edge, but the faithful driver on the road says, there is the warning, I will steer to the path of safety. The warning is we must continue in the faith. Scripture warns us about people that that make professions of faith that are empty, that are hollow, that have no sincerity behind them and never manifest themselves through a changed life. Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And in Matthew 13, Jesus explains it. He says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this one is one who hears the word. 
And he immediately receives it with joy and yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Verse 22 of Matthew 13, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Scripture promises that those who are truly saved are held by the power of God and cannot lose their salvation. But Scripture also calls us to hold fast. It warns us against making an empty profession that we treat as some sort of get-out-of-jail card. This is very real and very practical. When I was a camp counselor at Victory Valley Camp, we had a young man who one summer made a profession of faith. He lived in a very difficult home. His father was a very active uh, Muslim believer. He came from somewhere in the cities of New York. A summer or two later, this man came back and he had renounced the faith. He came because he loved camp. He loved the counselors. He loved hanging out. Quite frankly, he liked the girls that were at camp too. And so he wanted to hang out at camp and he came for a week or two. And and he was, you know, one of those cool guys, you know, very suave, fun to be around. What do you say to a man like that? If his profession of faith was genuine, the Lord will continue to persevere with him. The Lord will draw him back. But at that moment, when he came back that second time, walking away from the Lord as he was, we had no confidence to know for sure whether or not he was a genuine believer. And that's not because we were trying to be mean and judge his heart and all those sorts of things. But Scripture warns us. There will be people who who receive the Word. They they receive it with joy. It's like saying they show up in church the next week and they're excited and they testify to this wonderful transformation of life. And then things come along and they wander from the faith. Scripture warns us to continue in the faith. If we continue... These things await us. We need to remain stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And it's not so much about my power to hold on to Christ. I don't stay saved because I hold on. I am challenged to stay steadfast and hold on to Christ because I know what He has done for me to hold on to me. Scripture promises that Jesus will lose none who belong to Him. But the warning is there. The warning is there because some people do take the faith very flippantly. They treat it like a get-out-of-jail-free card. I'll go on living however I want. 
I'll wander from the Lord, but don't worry, I'm saved. Scripture calls you and I. Continue in your faith. Stay anchored on Jesus Christ. Recognize and remind yourself what He has done for you. If you are here and you are wrestling with doubt, maybe you're, you're struggling with a, a confidence in the Lord, remember who you were. Remind yourself what Jesus has done. Bring those doubts before God and, and say, Lord, help me. Remember what Jesus did with doubting Thomas? Remember how he kicked him out and said, how dare you doubt? No, he didn't. He said to doubting Thomas, come, touch my side. See that I am real. The Lord is so gracious and merciful when we struggle that we dare not take doubts flippantly. But we don't have to hide them from the Lord. Remember the man who came before Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If you find yourself in a moment of weakness where you are struggling to stand firm on the Lord, I would encourage you, pray that prayer. The Lord isn't embarrassed by that. It's not like he doesn't know you're struggling. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this Christian is struggling. He is tender and compassionate and merciful. But don't let doubts reign in your heart. Wrestle with them. Use the Word of God. We have moved into a day and age where, where people my age, even pastors and, and writers of Christian books will say, doubt is a good thing. Everybody with a little bit of faith needs a little bit of doubt because it challenges us. One of the reasons they say this is because sometimes in the past people were calloused towards those who had doubt. They weren't tender like Jesus is tender, ushering us back to him. And some just said, how dare you doubt? You must be phony in your faith. Well, sometimes even the strongest Christians wrestle with doubt. But that doesn't make doubt a good thing. If some people denied the reality of poison, there is no such thing as poison. Would we suddenly turn and say, a little bit of poison is a good thing, everyone. I love sprinkling it on my food. Doubt is the same way. Some have handled it wrong, but it doesn't mean it's a good thing. You will find Jesus to be a most merciful Savior, a most precious Lord, but His desire for you is to anchor you and your life in Him. To, to cultivate a, a stable faith in you. A steadfastness. Jesus wants to defeat your doubts. And, and good doctrine helps with that. Reading the Word of God helps with that. Worshiping with God's people helps overcome your doubt. Reminding yourself that God is faithful to His Word helps. This passage ends about the gospel, the hope that we have, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and which I, Paul, became a minister. I think it's a reminder to us that, that as the Colossians are struggling, as they're, they're facing these doubts, Paul, Paul gets them to look outside of their own situation and say, look at what God is doing. 
He is spreading His Gospel to the world. Sometimes we need to remember what God is doing outside of ourselves so we can have a confidence that He wants to work inside of us. Maybe you've been there. I've I've been there. Situations where you're praying for something, you're asking God to do something, and you feel like He's not hearing. And then you remind yourself that God is working in the life of the missionary. The hardest thing to do in those circumstances is rejoice for them. But as you do that, it encourages your faith. I remember a time in my ministry where I was going through a period of of discouragement, uh, not seeing uh, fruit, not seeing the church grow. And I'm preaching the word and I'm saying to myself, Lord, why aren't you doing what you promised to do for your word? And I'd pray and I'd pray and, and it actually God used it to increase my prayer life. But then you begin to have the Satan sow these these seeds of doubt. Two things encouraged me during that season. One, I had an opportunity to go uh, to a conference with with fellow Christians, a big conference, mostly mostly a guys conference, mostly pastors, 6000 or so people in an auditorium. And when we start singing, my heart said, yeah, I really believe these things. I, I, I can't explain it other than to say the Holy Spirit used that moment. That I was with God's people. And, and a doubt could pop its head and, and I could sit there and look at it in my mind. And suddenly then I'm singing these words and I'm saying, there is absolutely no way that these things are not true. It was like my heart was saying, I can't not sing these songs. The Lord used it to to build that steadfastness to cause me to be anchored in Him. Remember Elijah? He has this great moment of ministry on on Mount Carmel. He he calls down fire from heaven. And and we all think that we would go home and woohoo, we won one for the Lord. And he, won, he, he goes down and he goes into almost a depression. And he goes and says, I'm the only one left. And God has to remind him there are 7,000 people in Israel who had not bowed their knee to Baal. And we need to remind ourselves that when we're small in number or when we're discouraged, or when we're wondering in our own private life, why isn't God answering this prayer request? The Lord is still working. And He's working in His world. And He's spreading the Gospel. And people are getting saved. We need to stand fast on the faith. There's a wonderful hymn. And we sing the line, Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed. Finding, as He promised, perfect peace and rest. I challenge you this morning, continue in the faith that you have confessed. I hope you long for that day where God ushers you into His presence and you are cleansed and put on that new robe. And you will say in that day, I am here because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of us will say on that day, I may have struggled along the way, but I am here 
Because Jesus Christ held on to me. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would encourage us. That you would challenge us to to stay steadfast in the faith. Anchored and rooted and grounded in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.